Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Blog Talk Radio. listeners, welcome to Access Talk with Trish, a 30-minute weekly online radio segment dedicated to examining the good, the bad, and the reality of accessibility in our communities. And I'm your host for the show, Trish Robichaud, disability awareness coach, author, facilitator, and motivational speaker, a woman with a disability, but definitely not a disabled woman. The Access Talk with Trish radio show can be heard live on Wednesdays at 11 a.m. Eastern at accesstalkwithtrish.com. Or you can listen to past show recordings on demand at any time at the same address or on iTunes, if that's how you roll. This show is brought to you by Changing Paces, an accessibility consulting firm that simplifies disability legislation for organizations that think they don't have the time or money for compliance. Visit changingpaces.com and nurture culture of inclusion where everyone matters. And on that note, I'd like to introduce my guest for today. Lloyd Pollack is a trailblazer who brought accessible transportation to Toronto 26 years ago now. He just happens to also be a man living with post-polio syndrome. With 10 years of experience managing a taxi company and training drivers for the school board on how to handle students using wheelchairs, Lloyd was well acquainted with transporting people with special needs. It was a natural fit when he was approached by the Ontario Ministry of Transportation in 87 about developing a wheelchair accessible taxi service. He left his job in management to drive taxi as due diligence while he researched a plan to meet the ministry's needs. Dignity Transportation put its first wheelchair access taxi on the road in 1991. Since then, Dignity has grown a fleet of accessible cabs, and Lloyd has had the privilege of transporting of all people, even hawking. He's also had the opportunity to showcase Dignity's fleet to international audiences. As an extension of his passion for accessible transportation, Lloyd served on the Accessibility for Ontarians with Disabilities Act, or the AODA, Accessible Transportation Standards Development Committee. Wow, that was a mouthful. But so was the job, all in all, two years to be precise. I look forward to Lloyd sharing the accessibility struggles and successes he's had throughout his journey to becoming the father of accessible transportation in South Central Ontario. Welcome, Lloyd. Thank you. Glad to be here. So tell us, how and why did you step right up when you were approached by the ministry? And how accessible was the whole process for you? Oh, that's interesting. When they approached me, I thought it was a wonderful idea. I did approach my boss at the time. He said, no, I'm not interested. So I decided, you know what? I want to do this. I have a feeling and passion driving people for giving them the freedom that they never had. So I decided to do my due diligence, spent a few years on the road in the taxi business, looked into vehicles maintenance, insurance costs, everything. 
and chose to go ahead with it. That was a huge research project. Took you a couple of years. <laughs> yeah, a couple of years. A couple of years well, picking brains. <laughs> well, good for you and good for Toronto and South Central Ontario. I mean, this is where you've grown to. Uh, I think that's phenomenal. I remember like the early 90s and I remember there's, you know, there was no transportation, accessible transportation anywhere. There was a, no. there was, there was, um, there was a lot of small communities that had put together volunteer driver programs. Um, well, I wouldn't say a lot, but there were a number of programs across the province. Um, Georgina, we had one here. I was part of the founding of that program. Um, but there was no conventional transit uh, that was accessible at all anywhere in the province. So good for Ontario. I, I thank you for that, Lloyd, for doing the due diligence. I know you have a disability yourself, Lloyd. Can you share about that with our listeners and tell us how it impacted your journey? Well, it goes back to when I was six years old. I had polio. I was uh, had two concerts, with three. I had two out of the three, the worst ones, of course. I had uh, the paralysis, which affected my entire left side. And wow. at six, you go through growing spurts. So my left side is weakened and, and smaller. And I had a series of operations then and then again when I was about 13 or 14. I walked with a limp. I took the teasing that occurs at school. But, you know, that, that's life. I learned to deal with it. Right. And then in 1980, I started having some really strange pain and weakness and uh, extreme fatigue. So I went to a doctor, an orthopedic doctor, and he said the only thing that he can guess is it might be related to my polio, but there wasn't much information out. Right. So I, I found out about a doctor by the name of Dr. Franks at West Park Hospital who specialized in post-polio. And I waited about two months to get an appointment to see him. And he confirmed that that's what it was and told me that as I get older, it would get progressively worse. Mm -hmm. And then in the post-polio groups, if you start to talk to people, you'll find out that people have gone from being in an island lung to no longer needing it. And then now they're back to perhaps needing some device anyhow, like an island lung for right. breathing. You learn a lot, but it also gave me a deep feeling for people that have disabilities and have needs. And I ended up uh, going into the accessible transportation. It was really, it's a labor of love. I understand the, the post-polio symptoms came on in, I think you said 1980? Right. And the average, that, sorry, sorry, the average was about, the average was about uh, 20 to 35 years after the onset of the polio that people would get it. Not everybody, but most people. Gotcha, gotcha. And so at that point, were you working for the taxi company? 
I was in the taxi company in 1980 as a general manager. I remained right. a general manager for 10 years. So you managed this, manage this company um, while dealing with post-polio symptoms? Yes. We're all type A personalities. <laughs> Sorry, say that all, I've said we're all type A personalities, the survivors. We pushed, pushed, pushed. Mm -hmm. That was what you went through in, uh, when you had it. Yeah, yeah. You had to really push. So in terms of your employment, um, obviously your symptoms, your disability didn't negatively impact your job. No, no. And I had a boss that was very kind and he knew the odd time I would not come in, I would call him because of pain or whatever. Mm -hmm. But primarily he relied on me. He knew I would show up on weekends if needed or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I got into the, uh, the school board and the school board didn't want to deal with taxi drivers. They didn't like the idea it could be any drivers showing up and would have no training. Mm -hmm. So I offered to do it. So I was able to provide one driver per child and all have undergone training that I had prepared in terms of dealing with uh, those with disabilities, whether it's cognitive or uh, physical, whatever. Mm -hmm. And I had a wonderful relationship with the school board. That's fabulous. So you broke down that barrier. They they originally had an attitudinal barrier around uh, using taxis for transporting students. Yes, and in some cases, I, I understand. I mean, the students react to different faces, different people. Mm -hmm. So if you provide that consistency, the children really became quite involved with the driver, and they liked the driver, they were happy with it, and they were, they were calm. You know, that's a really good example of how to accommodate um, a situation uh, that might originally seem um, unapproachable. Um, the fact that you were able to provide that consistency of the same driver for each student, um, I, th I think that has a larger message in terms of accommodating people with disabilities. You know, that consistency is really important. Fabulous. So knowing all that you know now about the journey, okay, that you traveled to make Dignity Transportation what it is today, what advice would you have for someone just starting out on the advocacy trail? The advice I give is do your due diligence. Understand the barriers because there are lots. I had to deal with people, including in the government, uh, the city government, mm -hmm. that were dead set of, against approving a wheelchair accessible vehicle. I literally surprised them when I showed up at their inspection with the vehicle, which had 600 kilometers on it, obviously would pass. And the manager at that time uh, of the inspection depot said, you know, I can't pass this. I quote, and I said, really, can you give it to me in writing? Because from here, I'm going down to the MPO and I will show them what you said. Mm -hmm. Well, that scared them off a little. 
And it said also, by the way, it meets the 409 CMVSS. I quoted all the regulations that affect those type of vehicles. Mm -hmm. So he says, give me a few minutes. He came back in a half hour. Okay, you pass, take it down to the municipal licensing standards. They want to look at it. From literally, like your signage is too big. I said, I'm dealing with visually impaired people. You're going to go broke, the head person said. I said, that's a business choice I'm making. And then they said, okay, go ahead. And uh, here I am today. Fabulous. So in that situation, the barrier was definitely attitudinal because there was they, they, they didn't really have any reason not to uh, approve. They had no legal reason. No legal reason at all. And I was well prepared knowing what they are like. And so I went ahead and took it through, not wanting them because I knew it would be a surprise. And I'm glad I did it that way. For certain, absolutely. I, I what I get out of that is that you know when you encounter barriers, when people encounter barriers, don't automatically turn away when you see a barrier. It means standing up and speaking up, and and proposing feasibility, feasible ways of of approaching. You know. Yeah. That, that attitudinal barrier. If if you would have just walked away and said, oh, "Okay, well," then you wouldn't be where you are today, and there wouldn't be, you know, the fabulous um, dignity transportation service across. And I am proud of the changes that I made, both here in the city and legislation, in terms of service for those with disabilities. I made a difference, and I'm proud of it. As you should, as you should. Um, I titled this interview, um, you know, Lloyd, the father of accessible transportation in South Central Ontario, because from what I could see when I did the research before our interview, um, that is the truth. You, you, you fathered our transportation system and uh, brought shut-ins out of their homes. Oh yeah, people who had never had the opportunity to leave the house prior. I have so many people, like because we do, uh, you know, we're twenty uh, seven days a week, three hundred and sixty-five days a year. And at Christmas, I would get calls from people saying, "Thank you, thank you. I'm finally getting out to see my family." Nice. It just was heartwarming. Very nice. Very nice. That's a reason to get out of bed in the morning if I've ever heard of one. And we're yeah. gonna go, we're gonna go to a quick commercial break now, Lloyd. And uh, when we come back, we're going to talk about your involvement with the Standards Development Committee. Sure. Devon has been with this company for over five years, since before his legs started giving him trouble. He loves his job. He's great at it, and he plans to stay with the company till retirement, if possible. Problem is, it's getting difficult for him to walk from his desk to the washroom. His supervisor, Aisha, lets Devon know that she's noticed he's having some trouble. She suggests they move his desk closer to the entrance and the washroom. Devon is relieved and agrees. 
This is an example of a basic accommodation that helps make a workplace inclusive. Did you know that 50% of accommodations don't cost a dime and 80% cost $500 or less? The inclusion of people with disabilities in the workforce is the best answer to our current labor shortages. And making businesses accessible to customers with disabilities sees you tapping into their $32 billion spending power. Sound good? Then let a changing paces, warm, and friendly expert take you by the hand and walk you through the steps to making your business accessible to everyone. Visit us at changingpaces.com today. Okay, we're back. Let's talk about your involvement with the AODA Transportation Standards Development Committee. What, what drove you and was it an accessible process for you? It, well, I received notification if I wanted to apply to be on a committee. Mm-hmm. And I said, I had been on other committees in the past, but this one I felt was so important because it, it was province-wide. Mm-hmm. And I really wanted to get on. I had several recommendations made of me to be on it, and they accepted me. I don't know how to comment nicely, but it was so fractious. There was uh, transit properties. There were uh, members of the government ministries. There were uh, all the different advocacy groups. And nine times out of ten, I mean, they killed the Amazon jungle with the paper. And I still really believe in the goals, but they were fighting internally. That mm-hmm. what was going how on. Many, and, and, sorry, go many, ahead. How many people were on that committee? I would say there was 40 or 50. Wow. That is a lot of people to bring to consensus. Yeah. What a task. And yeah. So amidst all of that infighting, did you did you still get an opportunity to make your your position known? Oh yes. I, I'm not shy and reserved. <laughs> I made sure that I got my viewpoint across. Excellent, excellent. And um how accessible was the process for you if you had special requests for, you know, materials in a certain format or whatever? Um, I had no problems. They were more than accommodating. Uh, I would arrange my own transportation because at that time I was able to drive. And I drive out and I attend the meetings, no problem. All right, the big question. Would you do it again? Yes. In a heartbeat. Awesome. So the experience was powerful for you. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I'm so proud of it, as I said earlier. I have made changes and changes for the good within the city of Toronto and in the province. Mm -hmm. And I still, still, although I'm not actively involved because I had the stroke and I'm in the wheelchair, I still am in contact and I, I want to see it continue to flourish. The AODA, you mean? 
the ALDA, the company, the needs of people with disabilities should be first and foremost in everybody's mind. Mm-hmm. When I encounter something that is inaccessible and people don't even understand it, I explain to them. I make sure they understand what a barrier even one step is. Can you summarize your experience with a short list of barriers that others should watch for? Uh, doors wide enough to accommodate a wheelchair, no steps, uh, the, the, the uh, buttons you press to open the doors, if they are accessible, should be operating. I mean, I've entered restaurants because the, the back is accessible, but I had to go through the kitchen to get to the dining room. Mm. We go in the place they were in, it was older, and they eventually moved. But it, 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 I wouldn't even say it was demeaning. It just wasn't. Certainly demoralizing, that's for sure. Yes. So you've mentioned uh, a number of barriers, and they're all physical barriers. But the journey that you've taken, there had to be other types of barriers that you've encountered um, in terms of communication barriers and attitudinal barriers and systemic barriers. Well, the barrier, I mean, there are attitudinal barriers and there are the systemic barriers because somebody has a, a speech impediment doesn't mean he's not intelligent. I had this all part of my training course. I, I would show, like, I think if you read the CV, I did the ambassador training program at uh, Centennial College. One of the things, and, and it worked very well, is these were all taxi drivers getting the ambassador taxi. I introduced myself that I had a uh, disability, that I'd been in a taxi business for many, many years. And then I would go into explaining things to them. And I always remember there was one day I was, I had taught them how to deal with a uh, visually impaired person or blind and how to approach them and offer them help. And one guy said to me the next day, he says, you know, I had somebody in the cab who was blind and I helped them. They were so happy because I told them how to just put their hand next to that person's hand and then they would take their arm or elbow, whatever they would work and then leave them and to watch ahead for breaks in the sidewalk or whatever. And that, that told me how well it was going across. Mm-hmm. Certainly, certainly. What a, um, what an awesome opportunity that you had to actually deliver that training. And, and you, the ambassador program that was, explain that for me. That was the uh, city that they were going to issue special ambassador plates. At that time, it would be single owner operator. They wouldn't be allowed to lease it or put drivers on. They were seeking to raise the level of the driver in the city. Mm-hmm. And they ran that program. So there was a RFP out for the people to create. The, the course was called uh, Dealing with a Diverse Clientele. So I applied for it, got it, and I taught it for a year. Awesome. And were you, in terms of you delivering that program through Centennial, 
Um, did you find that there were any barriers to teaching for you at all? No, no, not at all. In somehow, fact, I mean, somehow, Lloyd, I suspect that you don't necessarily see barriers where many of us see barriers. I think <laughs> you're probably right. Yeah, you know, but uh, you see them as opportunities instead of barriers. Yeah, that's right. Very good. Very good. So, Lloyd, what do you think as a society that we can keep in mind on a daily basis to minimize barriers to accessibility? I strongly believe that it's in education, starting from school. Educate the children. They're the future. They are the ones that are going to have to try and accommodate and understand and have the empathy to deal with people with disabilities. I completely agree with you. We have to bring our children up with an attitude of accommodation for other human beings, right? An attitude of accommodation for and empathy, and empathy for people of all abilities. Right. That's right. So if any of our listeners, Lloyd, want to know more about you or want to contact you about your services, how can they do that? Well, we have a website, www.dignitytransportation.com. We have toll-free number and regular numbers, uh, 1-800-398-2109 or 416 398 Two 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 two, and of course uh, through email. Okay, and your email address is info at dignitytransportation dot com. Fabulous! Thank you very much for joining us, Lloyd. I appreciate your participation today. It's been my pleasure. And thank you, listeners, uh, so much for joining us for today's episode of Access Talk with Trish, a 30-minute weekly online radio segment dedicated to examining the good, the bad, and the reality of accessibility in our communities. Please join us again next week on Wednesday at 11.30 a.m. Eastern. This show is brought to you by Changing Paces, an accessibility consulting firm that simplifies disability legislation organizations that think they don't have the time or money for compliance. Visit changingpaces.com and nurture a culture of inclusion where everyone matters. Till next time, take self-care seriously and God bless. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. 
ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.